You're listening to the SLP Book Club. We're your hosts, Laura Geisert and Adrian Frost. This month, we're reading Lisa Murphy on Play, The Foundation of Children's Learning by Lisa Murphy. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the SLP Book Club podcast. Today we have a very special episode that we're so excited to bring you. We sat down and chatted with Megan Samuels, the founder of Tiny Talkers. She owns her private practice, Tiny Talkers Nashville, where she sees clients individually and in her Tiny Talkers groups. And she is also the founder of the Tiny Talkers curriculum that's available for other SLPs to buy and implement in their own private practices. And I'm not going to go on about it too much here because she gets into it and explains it best in our conversation. We also wanted to talk to Megan because she's been reading Lisa Murphy on Play with us and listening along. So we got to chat with her about her thoughts on the book and what she's taking away from it. We think you're going to really enjoy this conversation and love Megan as much as we do. So stick around after a quick break. We're going to be back talking with Megan Samuels. Have you checked out Laura's speech materials yet on Teachers Pay Teachers or Boom Learning under Laura G. SLP? I am such a huge fan and I'm here to sing her praises. (laughs) Since I'm a teletherapist, I use Boom cards almost exclusively during my sessions. As with all things in speech, sometimes the most unexpected materials are a hit with the kiddos. My students love Laura's What Did You Find activities that feature a fun flashlight to look for different items. And her lid comb handouts for parents on TPT are also amazing. And I love to use them with private clients. She also has some great game type reinforcers like the picture reveal activities and a connect four donut game that I've been playing on repeat with one student for months. (laughs) The best part is that I can use almost all of her materials with a range of kids who have different levels of needs. This helps you get the most bang for your buck. Her materials are well thought out, evidence-based and fun and engaging for the kids. We can't all be creative geniuses, so we might as well support and benefit from those who are. Thanks for sharing your genius with us, Laura. Go check them out today at Laura G. SLP on Boom Learning and TPT. The SLP Book Club is not just a podcast, it's a community. Go to our Instagram at SLP underscore book club to join the discussion and connect with us after each episode. Want even more of the SLP Book Club? The resources we make to support the content of the books we read are available for free on our Patreon or at the Laura G. SLP Teachers Pay Teachers store. You can find links to them in the show notes. To learn more about the SLP Book Club, go to theslpbookclub.com. You can contact us by emailing hello at theslpbookclub.com. Follow us on Instagram at slp underscore book club or on TikTok at the SLP Book Club. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast today. We are very excited to have a special guest. This is Megan Samuels from Tiny Talkers, and we are so excited to hear all about your curriculum and about how you like Lisa Murphy on play. She's been reading along this month with us and 
it really dovetails so beautifully with your program. So I'm really excited to hear your thoughts on that. But before we get into it, we thought we would do a little game with you like we normally do at the beginning. Okay, I hope I'm prepared. (laughs) Okay, no, it's okay. Don't worry. (laughs) Any answer is going to be right. So, you know, the people want to know. And by the people, I think I just mean me and Laura. (laughs) Hey, we're going to play like it, love it, leave it. Okay. I can do this. Yes. Off air, I was just telling Laura, I feel like this was the most controversial one we've ever done. Oh, boy. (laughs) Okay. Like it, love it, leave it. Chocolate, cheese, chips. Oh, gosh. That is so hard. Okay. So I feel like I might be in the minority here, but I'm going to leave cheese. Okay. Uh (laughs) (laughs) See? Controversial already. Yeah, because I love chocolate and chips too much to leave those behind. It's really, it's a difficult choice, I understand. (laughs) So we'll start with that one. The cheese is left behind. And I'm going to love chocolate and I'm going to like chips. Wow. That was pretty easy for me. Okay. I mean, yeah, you you nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) I've got a major sweet tooth that I developed during two pregnancies, I think. I was never a sweet tooth person, but now... Anything chocolate, that's my jam. So, yeah, I'm going to love the chocolate. Laura, you seem very shocked by my responses. (laughs) Okay, so we did this one, and that was the – cheese was the one variable that we both had to have. Right, Adrienne? Oh, so funny. I left behind chocolate. Mm. Oh, and I left behind chips. (laughs) Well, look, we have all of our bases covered. That's perfect. (laughs) I know, but I was just telling Laura, like, now some people in my life are like, well, you don't like chips. And I'm like, I do like (laughs) chips. I do. Let's be very clear here that I like all of them. We are not saying (laughs) that I dislike any of them. But if I had to choose, the cheese goes. Okay. Okay. Interesting. I respect it. (laughs) I know what I like, you know? Yes. Well, that was it. We just needed to know the one question, and then we can get into learning more about this. Perfect. I love it. I love starting with a game like that. Yeah. So, Megan, first we want to just know, we just want you to tell us about your career as an SLP, where you've worked in the past, and what led you to where you are now. So, I went to undergrad at Auburn University in Alabama. But I am born and raised in Florida. So I went to FSU, Florida State University for grad school. When I was in my last semester there, I did an internship at Vanderbilt University in the special ed department under Ann Kaiser and fell in love with the early childhood population, but also fell in love with Nashville. And after graduation, I came back to Nashville and I've been here now for 10 years. So My first job right out of grad school was the school system. I worked here in Nashville in the local school district. It was a very interesting first job because I worked in a Spanish immersion school right out of grad school. So that was really interesting. And then my second two years in the school district, I worked at an early childhood center that they had just opened and just developed within the school system. We don't have like a voluntary pre-kindergarten here or anything like that in Nashville. So they were trying to get that up and running. But man, it was awesome. And I just knew that that was the age group that I wanted to work with my entire career. 
But then I got married and I had two babies. And so I changed career paths for a little bit. I went into a home-based private practice and then I went to a clinic-based private practice. And during COVID, I had my second baby. I took a very prolonged maternity leave as many people did. Things were different then. And then I decided, you know what? I want to be in charge of how I'm doing things, what my schedule looks like. I just needed more flexibility and more autonomy in what I was doing. So Tiny Talkers got started two years ago because of all of those things. <laughs> so, Gosh, that's really exciting. It sounds like quite the path to get you where you are today. Yeah. And COVID, yeah. Coming out of COVID, I think that a lot of SLPs started kind of doing their own private practice thing too, trying to see what could work and what didn't. And it ended up really being a game changer for my career. So yeah, that was quite the curveball, but I'm grateful for it now. Yeah, this is sort of an aside, but Laura and I, I don't know if you're familiar with Jenna Castro Cabon. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Laura and I both did her program. We were just interviewed for her podcast. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I don't want us to like go on a tangent about private practice, but (laughs) (laughs) I really wish more people would consider it because everything you said is like exactly Mm -hmm. the reason. I mean, the flexibility, I think COVID, you're right, changed a lot of things for a lot of people. And especially children, right? Yes. I think more kids within that three to four year age range right now are the ones who are most impacted by COVID. So I love that that's the population you're working with and supporting. Yeah. And when I started Tiny Talkers, that was the big pull for a lot of families that we were meeting outside. So it was a safer environment, but also children weren't getting the social interactions that they were used to. So by providing this little space for them, it w- it really took off. And I think that because of the needs of the time that it was so beneficial for so many families. And then it was beneficial for me. So yes. <laughs> that worked out. <laughs> so tell our listeners more about the Tiny Talkers, you know, the framework yeah. of how you started what you're doing. We'll move on to the mm-hmm. curriculum but basically the structure of your practice mm-hmm. and how you run, I mean, how much of it is the groups and how much do you do one-on-one therapy and what are the groups like? Just everything about Tiny Talkers. Yes. Yeah, so when I started the groups, I didn't even intend to see one-on-one clients. That is the craziest part. I was just like, I have this skill set that SLPs that we have. And I think that I could provide something different. And so two years ago, I started, I just posted onto a a local mom's group on Facebook. And I said, hey, this is something I'm that I'm thinking of doing for two to four year olds. We're going to do gross motor play. We're going to do stories. We're going to do sensory play. We're going to do open play with peers, social interactions. Um, And parents were very, very interested So I got that started and I started getting referrals from these groups and from parents saying, oh, we're in a group with an SLP to their friends that had questions about their child's development. And I would get referrals from just word of mouth. So it was never my intention to really grow a big practice that was 
built around groups, but that's where I currently am. I really was looking for how to do my career and also be present at home. And I wanted to create groups that were, I could do the same activities all week and not have to go home and plan for each individual session and get new materials and all of that, which we know as SLPs that can take up so much time. Once we get home, we want to be home and we want to be present. So that's really the mindset that I did um, when I created the groups. I wanted low prep, low cost, low stress, but big benefits for families. And that's really what came out of it. So my practice currently, we have about 56% of my practice is groups. And then we have one-on-one clients as well. And we do screenings at preschools and other things that come with having a private practice. But yeah, the groups are a big, a big part of it. I loved that post I saw. I forget on which of your social media accounts it was, but I really loved Mm -hmm. where you were transparent about what the numbers look like for you. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really we appreciate an entrepreneurial SLP. Mm-hmm, absolutely. <laughs> and I really love that transparency. So people can know what to expect because especially with social media, it's like you never really know what's going on. So thank you for sharing yeah. that. I'm sure it's really helpful for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted people to see that it's possible. It's not, you know, there is work involved. The curriculum, we'll get to that in a minute. But right. just because you want to offer groups and we have this skill set, doesn't mean it necessarily is going to just happen. There's a whole lot that just goes into the marketing, trying to find the kiddos to join. Sure. But also like being a very warm presence for families that are looking for their first outing with their two-year-old or their three-year-old and being a safe space for them to talk to you about their concerns. It's really I've really found that I'm playing so many roles for so many different families. That's amazing. I did want to say I'm so jealous because I am not a mom and I'm not going to be, but my my hairdresser has told me that she's a member of the most exclusive moms group on Facebook (laughs) in my area. And she's like, just give me your information of your private practice and I can get Mm -hmm. you on there. Like on Fridays, we're allowed to post about you know, it's like one day a week, they're allowed to post something, right. you know, right, right. So uh, I have considered it, yes. like just shamelessly putting myself out yeah. there on this mom's group through my hairdresser. Sure. Yes, absolutely. You should. And the <laughs> most beautiful part is it's going through your hairdresser and not from your name on, you oh, know, I know. Yeah. that's 100%. Have her do the work for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think about it. But what I wanted to tell you about the groups is I've been thinking about how wonderful it is because I have two clients in particular that their parents have them seeing me just until they start preschool this fall, you know, mm-hmm. and one of them. I'm not sure if they would have really needed speech, but the mom does want that engagement with someone yes. every week. She wants him to be as prepared as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, she's taking him to a lot of other little groups to yes. prepare him. But it, this would have been a perfect opportunity for him. Mm-hmm. And then another one has already been evaluated by the school district, but has to wait until the fall. And the parents are kind of like, well, we want him doing something now, you know? Yes. So it's exactly 
the fact that they do have to go through a whole evaluation and then be seen one-on-one where maybe the most beneficial thing would be a small group interacting with their peers and getting that engagement with a speech therapist. So absolutely. I just love it. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. There's no, you know, we have children who have a diagnosis. We have children who parents have concerns and we have children that parents are just looking for some extra opportunities for their children. So I really love it too, because it's inclusive. So children are going to be around a child who may have a little more needs than they do. And what better to start that than at two, three, and four too, you know, where they're seeing children with some differences, some different needs. Each group will look a little different too. So depending on the day and how, you know, how they're all feeling that day, we kind of pivot based on what the group is feeling and how they're responding to presented activities, which is so much of what I loved about Lisa's book is that, you know, the child is in charge and even though we come in with a plan, we definitely, there's a lot of pivoting depending on what that day is looking like. So yeah, I love that too about the groups is that anybody can join, anybody can get some adult facilitated interaction support, but really it's preparing them for the future. So yeah, it sounds like for both of those clients, it would be perfect. 100%. So can you share with us about the curriculum? Yeah. Because I'm so curious. I want to hear exactly what the groups look like, how you came up with the framework. So I have spent the past two years figuring out how to make this as easy as possible, but also what sort of framework helps the groups be most effective and most efficient with our time. But also, like we mentioned earlier, Adrian, where I was saying, like, I just don't want to come home and change the activity every single night. I want it to be that whole week I am doing the same activity. So that's where the curriculum came from. There was a lot of trial and error along the way. I tried some activities where I was like, yeah, that is not fun. So the story that you shared about the spaghetti and making a spaghetti bin, I tried a spaghetti bin. Was it sticky? Was it too sticky? Oh, it was sticky. But the process of making the spaghetti was also the biggest headache of my life. I had to make enough spaghetti to fill a sensory bin. So think about that. I really overestimated Mm. the spaghetti ratio to the water. So my spaghetti burned all over the bottom of my pot. Uh. And then by the time I had any left to put in the bin, it was so sticky. And so, I mean, which, okay, it's still a sensory experience, but like I didn't enjoy that sensory experience. Yeah. Like you run your fingers through some sand, kinetic sand, and you're like, this is awesome but just getting your fingers stuck in spaghetti. And then I added some stuff to it. I added some like bowls and spoons and then everything just got this gross film all over it. And I'm like, okay. Oh, yeah. So I've trialed all of this for everybody and there is no spaghetti in the curriculum. Good to know. Awesome. So yeah, there's been a lot of trial and error when it comes to stuff like that. But what... The main point of the curriculum is everything can be stored in a bin and saved for the next year. So black beans and all the materials that go for that specific week, the book for that specific week, the scavenger hunt cards for that specific week, it all just goes into one bin. So once 
you have it, you have it, and it's ready to go for the following year, which this is the first year I've just had it ready and I've just taken it out and I am just, it has saved so much time and mind space. (laughs) Yeah, you're free. You are, that is like total freedom. I just picture it being such a weight lifted off of you. Oh, it absolutely is. And I've had to pivot again. They're like water beads. So I did water beads my first year. And then I started seeing all of these reports about how even though water beads are not toxic, children could swallow a water bead and it could get stuck in their system. And I was like, okay, no more water beads. So there, some of those things have worked themselves out. But the way that the groups are set up is we do two-year-olds together and we do a group for 45 minutes. Three and four-year-olds are grouped together and they are an hour-long session. We start every week with a sensory bin. So the bin is out on a mat when all of our friends arrive. And by doing that, I've really notice that that helps children kind of get adjusted to what's about to happen. You know, they're just diving right in. They're showing their friends what they're finding in the bin. The bin is loosely related to the book that we're doing that week. So they're kind of like already getting adjusted to the vocabulary. Um, It's prepping them for what's to come. They're turn taking with their peers. There's just so many amazing things that are going on with that sensory bin. But also when we think about how Tara Sumter says <laughs> that we have to have a sensory experience in order to be learning. And that's kind of all incorporated into that. But we have gross motor movement. We have um, sensory art or messy art that's included and an open play activity where we're really just, I'm letting them kind of lead the play, whether it's with some magnetiles and some animals or if we're playing with some fish in, in a bucket of water, they're really leading the call there and working on playing, turn-taking, all of those sorts of things. Yeah. What has the response been from people? I know, I mean, I see on Instagram, I love the posts from not just you, but other mm-hmm. people that are using the Tiny Talkers structure and curriculum. Mm-hmm. So what has their response been? And Also, you provide support to them, right, as they go through? Yes. So I am helping them kind of learn ways to help market if they need some support for that. The curriculum has material lists included. It has links to materials if they need it. It has parent handouts included. So the way that I do them and the way that they've been doing them is we send them digitally to the parents of the group. So every Monday you send out the parent handout after your Monday sessions. And so parents are getting a recap of what you've done. They're getting ways that they continue play at home. They get a recap of the book if they want to head to the library and check it out or if they have it at home. Some phonological awareness stuff is also added on there, which I'm, I nerd out about. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, their input has been that it is so easy to make it your own and so easy to implement, which I'm so grateful for that feedback because sometimes we can create some things in our head and make it seem like, oh, this makes total sense. But until I've had some others try it out and they're giving me the feedback, like, no, this really does make sense. It's really been awesome to see them implementing it and being able to grow their practices as well through use of groups. That's amazing. Can I ask how often do you meet during the week? Yeah, it's just one time a week. But we set them up. This is another thing that I've figured out. We set them up as semester long opportunities. When I created 
the idea of groups two years ago, I was looking for a way to know how much I was going to be bringing in, which can be really hard as an SLP if clients are canceling or you're having to cancel. I set it up as semester so that I know, okay, we're, I'm holding three groups and this is how much we're bringing in. Parents are paying at the beginning of the semester, which has made a huge difference for why I feel like it's been so successful. Parents are committed. And even if that first session is hard for their child, which it typically is because it's just a different, a different activity for them. The growth that we see over eight or 12 weeks has been, I mean, it speaks for itself. So even though we're meeting just one time a week, we're seeing a bunch of progress because of the semester structure. That's great. So is this something, do you have anybody that's using Tiny Talkers curriculum on the side of another job? Is it something that a school SLP, say if they wanted to hold a couple Tiny Talkers groups on a Saturday, Mm -hmm. is that something that's possible? And what could they expect to make on this side if they just want a little extra income? Yeah. So I do. Actually, three of the users for this summer, all of them are working part-time and have their own practice on the side. I take that back. One of them worked full-time in the schools. She tried the Tiny Talkers curriculum this summer, and she was able to get her caseload up and running and the groups going with so much momentum that she's going back part-time to the schools this fall, which I'm like feeling so happy for her (laughs) about. Yes. So there's definitely all sorts of ways to incorporate the curriculum into your practice, whatever your current job looks like. But yes, so we don't do it on the weekends. We don't do groups on the weekends just because this is what we do full time. But we do have one of the users for this summer. She's been doing weekend groups too. And she's about to go back to the schools full full time and is going to continue through the fall. So it's definitely possible. The way that I have the payment structure set up is I don't hold a group unless I have three or more kids. Sure. When I divide that those three kids, I need to be making at least my hourly rate. So that's how I set the cost for the semester. So you divide it by 12 weeks. um, And that's each session, you should at least be making your hourly rate. If you have four kids, then you're making a little bit over your hourly rate. And that can go into materials or Maybe working one less private client that week. Yeah, your pocket. Yes, exactly. (laughs) It doesn't need to go right back into your business. It can be for fun too. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, so that's how I have it set up. So it would be a perfect opportunity for an SLP that's in the schools and is looking not even just to, if they're not even interested in having their own practice, but just making some money on a weekend. There's definitely opportunity there. Love that. I wanted to ask you, since Tara Sumter did come up a little mm-hmm. bit earlier, you know, we are big fans. Ditto. She's amazing. Absolutely. I mean, I still am not over her book. Like, No. Please. I know. So good. So have you incorporated anything from her into the groups? And, you know, we're like really on the exec- executive function train. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I feel like it gave me a better understanding and a better explanation of why I was doing what I was doing. It really just clicked so much for me when I read her book of why all of these things are important. I felt like they were important, but I couldn't put a name to them. And I couldn't, like, I didn't know what 
inhibition and initiation and self-moderation, all of these things that she talked about in detail and why these things are important for language and speech development. I think the biggest thing I started doing was on the parent handouts. After I read her book, I started adding when I give a recommendation for how to play at home, I'm including this supports da 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 da. And I'm giving executive functioning Mm -hmm. skills because if I, as a professional, I mean, when I read her book, I was nine years into my career. If I, as a professional, didn't know these things, then how does a parent who is, you know, trying their best with their child, how, how are they going to know those things? So I really started using that as an opportunity to support parents and knowing like, why do these things matter? What do these things mean for your child's overall development? And I, I'm with you. I'm such a big fan. I think that everybody needs to read her book. It's just really changed my whole, my whole mindset for sure. Tara, we love you. (laughs) (laughs) I am currently in her summer cohort. Were you ever a member of her community or? I was last year and I re-signed up and I am so behind for the summer cohort because I was on vacation last week when it all got started. Yeah. And so I need to play catch up. But yes, I currently am. And I was last year, but I was, I was actually talking with her and I said that I'm about to do an in-service on executive functioning at a local preschool. Because again, if we're supporting parents, also supporting teachers and why all this matters is so important. Yeah. So important. Yeah. Actually, sorry, I saw that you're doing, you're now a continuing education provider. Yes. In Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For preschool providers. Yep. Okay. So you go, you're being hired by schools to go and present on phonological awareness and executive functioning. So, you know, at the start of the school year, when um, Mm -hmm. schools have those professional Mm -hmm. development days, that's what I'm going in for to support their understanding, help them get their hours, but then also these skills that are so important for the little ones. So fun. You do so much. (laughs) Yeah. You wear a lot of hats. I do. That is true. (laughs) And maybe that's why I'm very tired sometimes. (laughs) Okay. So I'm dying to know what you thought about the book. Let's talk about Lisa Murphy. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Let's. Okay, I wrote some things down because I thought that some of the, well, we already talked about the spaghetti and the spaghetti is just not practical for us SLPs. I mean, we can't, and at least the way my practice is run, like we are in our cars and we're bringing our materials to people's homes and schools and everything. So like lugging spaghetti around is just, (laughs) it's not for me. I do get that what she's saying, that it's it's a great experience for children, but it's not the only way, you know? You know, Lisa's pretty diehard. Like she is, she will do it, whatever it is, she's going to go for it. And I love that about her. (laughs) (laughs) I do too. Absolutely. And I, I think I mentioned to one of you that I loved the conversation y'all had about how she uses all these different materials for paint. Um, paintbrushes and not just a paintbrush. Noses. Yes. Noses. <laughs> Snails. Anything. Snails. We use some kitchen utensils for some of our paint opportunities. We use um, some tire tractors. Yeah. So I love that she's talking about the benefits of just going all in. Whatever you feel like painting with, just go for it. 
So if the kid asks you for a fly swatter, you go and get a fly swatter? Actually, that is one of our lessons is painting with a fly swatter. Fun. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> I think it's in Grouchy Ladybug is actually the book that it was a part of. But yeah. Oh, yeah. Bring out the fly swatter. Of course. <laughs> but yes, I think that when she talks about school readiness and like, what does that mean? I think that everybody has such a different understanding of what school readiness is. And I wish we could all be on the same board with her of school readiness means that your child has played a lot in the last five years, you know? And I'm also, I just sent my Mm five-year-old to kindergarten yesterday Mm -hmm. for the first time. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And, you know, it starts making me as a mom be like, wait, did I let him play enough? Is he ready? Did I let him play enough? And I'm glad those are the questions that I'm asking myself and not, oh, he doesn't know how to read yet. Is he prepared? Because we know that that's not what children need to be doing when they start kindergarten. But as I was reading this book, I'm like, did I let my child be creative enough? Did he lead the way enough? Did he play enough? And I think those are those are just great questions to be asking ourselves as parents and SLPs. It's funny you bring that up because I was literally just thinking that because my daughter starts kindergarten next week. Oh, yes. <laughs> and Big when day. you were talking about school readiness, I was like, oh, my God, did yeah. you play enough? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Did I, did I let him do that enough? Or was right. I there squashing all of his creativity? and asking the questions that, you know, impeded his his play. But we just do the best we can. (laughs) These kids that are entering kindergarten now are really the ones who, you know, were so little when COVID hit. Yes. They were really isolated for a year or or Mm -hmm. longer, depending on whether their parents made it a priority to really get them out. And, you know, they spent a lot of time on screens, a lot of them. And so this is really the time where we have to be, I mean, I can't imagine, I'm I'm not working in the schools, but I imagine that seeing kids coming into kindergarten, they did not get enough of that valuable playtime. Because if you missed even six months of (laughs) playing with other people, it could be so detrimental. And I hope that they're all okay. Yeah. And when you, when you mentioned the screens, like there was so much of that. My son was two and a half when COVID started. And I think, you know, I didn't work at the time, but I think about the parents who were just trying to work, but also didn't have any sort of childcare. And unfortunately the screens did become, you know, the childcare. And so, yeah, I hope that once the world started opening up again, I hope that the play started happening. And but I when I went to open house at my son's school, you know, at five, they're all getting laptops <laughs> at five years old. Right. I know. Well, yeah, they are because the schools have the push like yes. they want every kid to have access to it. Yes. And it's like technology forward. But it's hard to imagine a five year old that's going to be on a you know, especially after reading this book, which I know it's more focused mm. on early childhood. But when you think about just how we all learn through play, even as adults, like <laughs> I learn yeah, best yeah. hands on and everything. It's hard to imagine a world where we are moving in such a technology focused mindset 
And developmentally, when I think about my five-year-old, I just, (laughs) it's hard for me to imagine him on a laptop. So (laughs) yeah, I mean, never forget all those stories coming out of COVID about all these little kids developing English accents because of Peppa Pig. Yes. yes. <laughs> and now it's happening with Bluey, an Australian accent. <laughs> oh, yeah, Bluey. <laughs> I did have a conversation with my daughter about that. She said something so funny. And I was like, why are you saying it like that? She's like, that's how they say it on Bluey. I'm like, oh, <laughs> how do I explain an accent? <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Oh, it's so true. And I will say, you know, during COVID, there was a lot more Daniel Tiger watched in my household than I care to admit. So yeah, I mean, I guess we don't have to go on too much of a tangent about that. But it's like everybody does have a choice about Mm -hmm. the content you're choosing. And um, anyway, Mm -hmm. okay, do you have any other thoughts you're dying to get out there about Lisa Murphy's book? Yeah. So one of the things about books that I was just when I was reading her chapter about reading, and I was reading about, are these books relevant to the children that you're reading them? And it really got me thinking about what that means. So she was talking about like the snow play. And (laughs) I know, why are we discussing snow? If you're if you don't get snow in your area. For me with my brain, and I'm thinking SLP, vocab, background knowledge, all of those things. I'm like, but because they need to know about snow, you know, it does exist. It does exist in the world. (laughs) (laughs) And we don't get a ton of it in Nashville, Tennessee, it's mostly just ice. But so that was just kind of a thought that I had, I was thinking, well, When I pick books, I think about things that maybe children also don't get a ton of access to, whether that's where they live or just general access. And so, yeah, that was just a little thought I had about the snow play. I was like, man, she really does not. (laughs) Oh, she went on a tangent about snow. (laughs) She did. She sure did. But you're right. There is such a difference between, you know, her chapter on reading I love because it's not about teaching the ABCs or sight words. You know, it's about Mm -hmm. telling stories to kids, kids telling stories to each other, reading with kids, showing Mm -hmm. kids that you love to read, teaching kids to respect books. It's just such a different approach than, you know, putting your kid on an iPad and having them do ABC games. It's not, you know, it's not about that. Right. But it is so different to read a story that involves snow. That's mm-hmm. that's fine, right? Mm-hmm. Kids can read stories and imagine yeah. snow. And that's different than coloring a worksheet with a snowman and, right. you know, or I guess playing in fake snow. But fake snow is a really fun sensory experience if you've ever made it with baking soda and conditioner. Yes, we have. <laughs> it's like it is cool to the touch. Like it's fun to make little snowmen. I w- that's what I was going to say. It kind of forms like snow does. So you can make like snowballs and things with it. So I- I'm kind of pro <laughs> fake snow. <laughs> I know. I felt embarrassed. I felt called out. But oh my gosh. I think I would still do it again if I was working in a pre school I would still yeah. make snow in the winter <laughs> I probably will so <laughs> yeah well it's okay you guys remember what Lisa says like we just can start now we can make the changes That's right. don't beat yourself up That's right. <laughs> and I also like how you were saying Laura how she talked about that it's not about your child reading the book to you it's about instilling the love of reading 
And mm-hmm. how, you know, she put a bunch of quotes at the end of that, which I loved. And one of them was like, the children that are going to grow up and be readers are the children that are being read to. And yeah. that's not a direct quote, but that's a summary. And I really mm-hmm. love that mindset. And also like children that see the adults around them reading are also going to grow up to be readers, you know? Children are going to learn through what's caught and not what's taught sometimes. And that's definitely true with reading. So I loved I loved that whole chapter for sure. It was a good book. Yes. Okay, I have one yes. final question. Okay, so Megan, did you cry at any point when you were reading the book? Like Laura and I both <laughs> cried several times. <laughs> Man, I really want to say yes, but I did not. <laughs> you know what? That's okay. We're probably, we both have cancer placements, astrology, they're big criers. Maybe that's what it is. You know, I can be a big crier, but I just, maybe not in a book. Yeah. Yeah, I did not. Well, I was thinking that Adrian was unhinged because she mentioned several times and then it hit me and this episode has not aired yet, but last week we were discussing the very final chapter of the book when Lisa really goes on her manifesto about building the foundation and the house and her very last paragraph, I finally was like, oh, oh. I was mm-hmm. like, I was like SpongeBob SquarePants. My eyes were just rolling and I was like, oh my God. So she got me. I made it through the whole book, but then she got me at the end. She yeah. got you. She got you too, Adrian. Man, I might oh just God. have to read it again and see. It's just her passion. I don't know. I was like, wow, this lady. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and you know what I, at the beginning when she was talking about how she just, she had opportunities. A lot of different preschools were hiring, but she just didn't feel like she fit. And she decided to make her own. I felt very connected to her at that point, because that is where Tiny Talkers came from. I felt like there was a way to do things a little differently. And I just loved, I just felt like she was my soul sister at that point. So yeah. Oh my gosh. Love that. So Megan, please let our listeners know where they can find you if they want to contact you, find you on social media. Yes. So I have two Instagram handles. My practice is Tiny Talkers Nashville and the curriculum page is TT Group Curriculum on Instagram as well. And the curriculum website is tinytalkersgroupcurriculum.com. And I would just love, there's a little place where you can send me an email and I would just love to chat with anybody about anyone who's passionate about groups or play or anything, early childhood, all of, all of my passions. Well, yeah, there'll be links to all of those in the show notes. So if anybody wants to find Megan, you can find links to them there. Make sure you reach out to her because we are huge fans and we just think this group curriculum is so fantastic. It's such a good idea. And the groups really look like so much fun for the kids. So it's great. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for sharing, Megan. This is really exciting. I'm so happy you were able to come on today. Thank you for having me. I had so much fun. Bye, Laura. Bye, Megan. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. All right, everyone, that wraps up our conversation with Megan, and that also wraps up our summer of discussing Lisa Murphy on Play, The Foundation of Children's Learning. We have absolutely loved this book. It has made us laugh. It's made us cry. It's made us reconsider a lot of the practices we've been using with the kids we work with. But overall, it has been such an amazing experience to read this fabulous book and connect with other people as we read it together. 
That's what we love about the SLP Book Club, and we want to keep it going. So as we mentioned, next week we're starting our brand new book, Beyond Behaviors by Dr. Mona Delahook. If you haven't grabbed a copy yet, check our show notes for a link to it. We know that you're going to love this book. We took a lot of time considering what we wanted to read next, and this is just a new approach to behavior, one that you might not have heard before, and it really focuses on the individual child, their needs, their body, their autonomic state, and how to make them feel safe and build relationships, because that's really the path to changing behaviors that might be seen as disruptive. So we're thrilled to start this book with you. We'll see you next Tuesday for our very first episode, where we'll be covering the introduction and chapter one. See you then.